You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming, and achieving success in multifamily real estate, and even some of them doing it while active duty, and really dig into their lessons learned, as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. Hey learners, and welcome to another edition of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and today we have some very special guests you know, normally we have on uh, military investors to talk about their experiences in multifamily, uh, but today we have some uh, uh, a couple of special guests who are experts in a particular field that I thought would be useful for the beginning and experienced investors. So, you know, we talk a lot about how to acquire multifamily, how to start your business, how to build out your business, but we don't really talk a lot about how to protect your business. And so today we have on uh, Mark and Andrew Pierce, uh, uh, they are father and son uh, out of Wyoming. And uh, Mark is a attorney accountant and the owner of Cloud Peak Law and has been uh, practicing law for more than uh, three decades and has seen everything from estate planning to bankruptcy to dealing with oil, gas and securities and has a breadth of knowledge that I'm really anxious to uh, explore there. And then we have Andrew, who is an independent asset protection consultant and the creator of WyomingLLCAttorney.com and uh, also works with Mark to help uh, a lot of clients form LLCs and uh, focus on asset protection through a number of different uh, methods. So Mark and Andrew, super excited to have you on the the show here today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Anthony. Thank you for having us on. Thank absolutely, you. absolutely. So, is there anything additional you want to add to your to your bios there that I uh, kind of swooned over some? Um, I would say you know nothing in particular, other than if you see our website, we really do say that asset protection is our only focus. Uh, there are other law firms that tried to do everything, which I guess would somewhat be like trying to be in the Navy, Army, and Air Force at the same time. <laughs> uh, you should probably stick to one thing and do it well. Uh, so that's yeah. our goal anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Perfect. I think that's that's something good in the context of the Navy is, you know, you, you, you guys run the ships that get to the Marines to where you're going, but you don't necessarily join the Marines on shore. So, you know, that's, that's really what we deal with as we deal within a particular area of the law and accounting that's asset protection. And it's something that's of tantamount importance to anybody at the end of the day, because you're always in, always in this uh, stream of converse where you need to protect yourself from the worst. Because like they say, what could happen? 
Well, I don't know. You, you tell me what can happen. It's all about the preparation. The game plan is the thing that you had until the minute the game started. And then at yeah. that point, the game plan went out the window because you're dealing with other forces that you can't anticipate. So you have to be malleable. You need to get the right structures in place. And then that game plan, the, the foundation to the game plan is what allows you to succeed. Oh, that's and great. They and don't sue the homeless. It's usually the people with the assets they go after. So it's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really great point because I, um, gosh, I got sued within three months of owning my triplex. And uh, <laughs> the tenant had just gotten in there too. So it was just like, whoa, like, where did this come from? And, uh, you know, luckily we were, we had everything legally set up and entities and stuff and a property management company who took the, the brunt of the lawsuit. But I, I, I can attest that uh, what we're about to talk about here is, is vitally important and should not be, uh, um, should not be a second thought for a lot of people when they're building out their, they're building out their business. So on that note, you know, let's kind of start from the beginning. Um, you know, a lot of our investors who come on here are newer guys who are coming here to learn how to get into multifamily or really real estate as a whole as a military investor. Um, they may not have the time or necessarily the resources to, uh, you know, really do their a, a ton of research into how to build out the business, how to um, you know do more of the backroom dealings and counting, that sort of thing outside of the real estate stuff. So, you know, let's just kind of give a scenario as a new beginning real estate investor, you know, I want to go use my VA loan to purchase and house hack a quadplex in my, uh, in my duty station. What are some things that I need to think about um, and, and build out to make sure that I am successful there from a, a legal standpoint and from your guys' standpoint? Andrew, you want to run with that? Sure. Um, I'd say, you know, at the very least, especially for someone just starting, uh, start with an LLC. You can have just one LLC. Usually we'll recommend one LLC per property. Uh, some people feel that's a little bit of overkill. It'll depend on the value of the property, how much equity there is, how much cash flow there is. You can put multiple into one LLC, but it becomes a little difficult if you want to sell it later on. You can't just sell the LLC. You've got to, you know, take it out with the title. Uh, one thing we don't recommend, though, is don't do anything and hope it turns out well. Uh, I don't know if we've met anyone that got to the point that it happened within three months, uh, but it's certainly possible. Um, and then we were on one podcast where he started with one LLC and ended up adding 40 properties to that one LLC, but then had no assets in his personal name. So really, what was the point of limited liability protection if all of his assets were in the one company? Uh, so at least start small. Uh, add a few as you go along, because what you'll find is, um, you know, especially if you get up to five or 10, then you're stuck shuffling things around and you've got to move it into an LLC. But now the mortgage company is talking about accelerating the note. We kind of refer to it as doing your penance. Uh, you'll really wish you did it correctly from the beginning. And uh, compared to an LLC is inexpensive compared to insurance. And really, it's just another form of insurance at the end of the day. Uh, and take the time to learn it in the beginning because you're going to be learning it eventually at the end of the day. So, yeah, the, you know, the interesting thing is insurance is your first bulwark that you've got to get over. But, you know, if people see that you have a triplex, they're going to assume that you have money. So they try to make a little bit of a claim over the amount of insurance. So, 
at that point in time, it's really important to have it structured with that LLC so that they can't break into that LLC beyond the insurance. They can break into it. But the, the idea is in, it, attorneys, for the most part, are, are pretty lazy. They'll take the insurance limits and get done with it rather than trying to litigate against the LLC. So they take their money and go home. But if it's a catastrophic loss, um, saying somebody's child is injured in, uh, in, in, a, in a very difficult manner. They may have antipathy towards you with whatever went on within that complex. They may come after that LLC. Well, those things are meant to happen. The important thing is that they don't break out of that LLC and come after you or come after other LLCs that are associated with you. So if you structure that correctly, you can isolate that liability to one structure rather than having it infect all of your structures. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to keep in mind on the LLC, which is different than a corporation, is that the reverse piercing, where they come after you individually and then try to get into the LLC as a result, it's very difficult for them to do that because the only remedy that they have if they get a judgment against you, for instance, Anthony, is a charging order that says any time that that LLC elects to make a distribution, then they can take that distribution, but they can't break into that LLC and force the sale of the property to pay for your individual debts. That's a huge difference between the LLC and the corporation. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Interesting. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's kind of break that down a little bit, a little bit more. So let's say that I, I form an LLC and then I get sued. And so what does that mean for that LLC? Like, let's say that the LLC is the name of the is is on the name of the suit itself. What does that mean for that LLC? Does that mean I normally have to dissolve the LLC to kind of combat that suit? Does it mean that the uh, the potential investments within that LLC are at risk? Or what does that mean for me when I have assets within an LLC and that LLC gets hit with a suit for some reason? Well, whatever, whatever assets are in that LLC, if the LLC is a defendant, those assets are at risk. And that was Andrew's point earlier is why you want to put a property in one LLC, another property in another LLC. There are things called series LLCs that aren't really well formulated at this point, uh, but they are specifically structured to deal with mutual funds, real estate investments, that sort of thing. But you need to put them into separate LLCs to isolate those liabilities between brother and sister corporations. Now, as to your individual liabilities, that LLC is not liable for them. So if there's a judgment against you, they can get a charging order against that LLC. If there's a judgment against that LLC, they can liquidate what's ever in that, whatever is in that LLC. And that's why in many instances, we'll say, okay, let's say that you get to the point where you have four different threeplexes. They're in four different LLCs. You would have those LLCs owned by a holding company. That holding company would then engage in what's called asset stripping. Because at the end of the day, they can't get a preferred judgment against that LLC over the existing consensual creditors who have mortgages and security interest in those properties. So let's say that you have a $100,000 investment in a, in, a, in a triplex and you have paid down the mortgage on that triplex to 20000 What you would say is that I'm at risk for $80,000. So what you would do is that you would put a provision in place where the holding company lends money to the LLC, takes that money out, and you strip the equity away and leave that LLC with very little equity remaining in that property. So once the attorney and the individual suing that LLC realizes, look, there's only $20,000 worth of equity in this thing, that's going to be covered up by legal expenses over a period of time. It's not worthwhile going after it. So the idea of living a lot of money in those operating LLCs, you want to get it out. And there's a way of doing that called equity stripping. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that as a as a thing. So <clears throat> I'll say uh, further as well, you had mentioned, you know, if the LLC is named in the suit, one of the games that you can play, um, you were lucky when they sued you, they were going after the property management company in particular. So if you have enough entities, you can make your own property management company as well. And they're the ones who are in charge of maintenance on the properties, signing contracts with tenants. So usually the first entity to get sued is going to be the property management company, not the company that owns the property. You know, that won't make sense if you have one or two properties. But if you've got four triplexes, you're going from there, you can pull that property management out and have that be in a different entity. And if they sue that entity, the property management company doesn't really own anything at the end of the day. So it's yet another barrier for you. Yeah, it's completely a flow through. And for tax purposes, that family office gives you a lot more deductibility on the individual expenses that you're going to have in running those triplexes than would you, you would get through a common LLC setup. So once you get to about, what we used to say, about 20, 25 units, you put a family office in place, and then you get a lot more income tax deductibility out of it. Interesting. Interesting. Family office. I'll have to look into, into that as well. So I, I, you probably are a little bit biased on this, but the different states have different rulings and um, I guess policies towards how LLCs have certain protections, how they're formed, uh, what they actually mean in terms of um, to the individual and taxation, stuff like that. So, you know, when you're trying to form an LLC for a particular company or for a particular property, um, what states do you think are best to, to do that in and why? Sure. Generally, the simplest setup is going to be a Wyoming holding company at the top. And then you form an LLC in the state where the property is to own the property. There are some states that consider the holding of property or property management to not be transacting business. And you could form an out-of-state entity for that. Uh, it becomes a question of the level of complexity that you want to have at the end of the day. Some people are just more comfortable keeping it clean. Other people want to kind of mix and match it and see what they can get away with to try and make uh, the opposing counsel's life harder. Because as Mark had mentioned, um, you know, the attorneys are lazy at the end of the day. They could argue, oh, Wyoming LLC shouldn't own the home. It should have been Pennsylvania LLC. Pennsylvania law applies. But it's going to be five or $10,000 to argue that. So if it's a frivolous lawsuit, it's going to at least deter some of those. You know, if you've maimed a child or done something different and you really are at fault, there's really only so much that you can do. So, and then I think as well, there's a few states that are popular for forming holding companies. I can go into detail on those as well. I know you mentioned us being biased potentially. So, <laughs> No, that's fine. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, I think as much information as you can give um, to the learners would be great. Fair. Uh, so the four traditional corporate havens are going to be Delaware, Nevada, Wyoming, and New Mexico. Uh, Nevada and Wyoming are the most similar to each other in terms of having aggressive asset protection laws. Uh, the difficulty there, they have almost identical statutes. Nevada has become pretty aggressive. So I think they're about $500 a year to keep the company open. Uh, they were kind of banking on that name and the marketing campaign they had. Uh, some people, you just can't convince them asset protection matters. What they want is the privacy. So, you know, New Mexico doesn't have great asset protection laws. Some people say, so what? But they don't want their name to be in the public record either, uh, whether it's nosy neighbors, needy family members, aggressive creditors. Uh, they don't want to show up on the Internet. Uh, New Mexico doesn't have an annual fee at the state level, so they keep it nice and cheap. Uh, Delaware is the one where we just tell people don't go to Delaware. 
Delaware is great for a Fortune 500 company, but you're not Bank of America. You're someone with a couple hundred thousand or a couple million dollars. So don't be lured there by Delaware. They've got, Delaware has more fair laws, but they're not debtor friendly. And when you're being sued, you are the debtor. So you don't want creditor friendly laws. Uh, so Delaware has a place if you're raising capital and going public, but with real estate investment, that's really not what you're doing at the end of the day. Interesting. Right. And by establishing a holding company in Wyoming that siphons off the money from wherever those subsidiaries are owning those real estate properties, you domicile the money in Wyoming. They have to come to Wyoming. They have to execute a judgment against you. And you always have, what, 30 to 60 days notice that it's coming. So there's ways in which you can move that money around and make it very difficult for people. The whole idea is to get to a more justiciable settlement than they might otherwise be able to get if they can glob onto your money right away. Makes sense. Makes sense. That glob onto, that's a very significant legal term. <laughs> I'm sure. It's, it sounds just like it would be. <laughs> so so if I'm getting this correctly, you're saying um, at the very top have the Wyoming holding company owned by you personally. And then from there, you have any, each individual state-specific LLC for a, you know, a specific handful of properties or if it's a large com- apartment complex for one specific apartment complex and kind of and share the wealth, if you will, all under this holding company in, in Wyoming or Delaware or Nevada or New Mexico, most preferably in Wyoming. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can get more aggressive. You could do uh, Wyoming at the top and then a Wyoming child company that owns the Florida property, then a Florida LLC acting as the property management company. But there it becomes a question of how much you want to slice and dice it. Mark brought up equity stripping and second mortgages. There's land trusts. You could have one entity own the land, one own the building. It's just how much do you want to do? And that's also a function of how much value there is in the property. You know, on a $100,000 property, you probably don't want to spend $8,000 structuring it. But if you've got a million dollars, it's worth that $8,000 to do it. And that's the client's personal choice. Just don't not have an LLC. Please, we beg you, at least have one somewhere doing something. Okay. Perfect. That's exactly, you know, once you get up to a hundred units, the cost of structuring that we're presenting it to you is, uh, you know, comparable to the price of going to lunch because you've got so much at risk that you could have difficulties with. Why would you not put these structural difficulties in place? Because they benefit you. It's less than your umbrella policy every year at the end of the day too. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So let me ask you this then. Um, You know, we're talking a lot about personally owning properties, like me going out owning a property or probably doing like a partnership, like a joint venture partnership and we owning a property. Now let's talk about in terms of like securities, if I decide to be a limited partner or I decide to be a general partner on a syndication, you know, we get 50, 100 investors together and we purchase a large apartment complex for, just call it $10 million. And I own, you know, a small portion of that, like two to 3% equity within that deal. How it, does the structure of that LLC change in terms of how I should put my name down for being a part of that of that company itself or that LLC itself? Or is the structure essentially going to be the same? Am I essentially safe by putting down um, the Wyoming holding company as the parent company for my name on that LLC? Does that make sense? Well, you said you were going to syndicate, right? So you're going to right. syndicate out your LLC membership interests? So the manager of the LLC at that point would either be another LLC or a corporation so that you isolate your individual liability away from there as an individual manager. 
and then you would sell out the individual LLC membership interest to the the people who are coming into and being a part of the syndication, what other percentage interests are. Um, it's, you know, the structure is basically going to be the same. You just have uh, various different aspects that you build into your operating agreement so that you as a syndicated member, as a syndication member of that LLC, aren't infected by something that somebody else has done as another syndication member. So what you would say is that, look, at some point in time, let's say that you have an LLC membership interest, you pledged it to a bank, you went broke, the bank takes that LLC membership interest, they come in and try to, in, they come in and try to dictate what it is that you're doing with the LLC, you can't do that. They're not a member of the LLC, they're simply an assignee of the LLC. They can get whatever distributions come out, they can't vote, they can't influence, they can't force you to sell the assets and liquidate their value. At that point, that membership interest becomes much less expensive to buy back at the LLC because you negotiate an interest from them. Because what you can begin to do is that you can allocate income uh, out to that bank. Say, look, you had $100,000 worth of income this year. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the cash flow to be able to, to send you the money for the taxes. You have to pay that out of pocket. So now the bank's in the position where they're paying the taxes on an LLC that they're not getting distributions out of. So you can force them to come to a settlement at some point in time. The biggest issue on the syndications, if you're getting into a $10 million syndication, you have to be careful who you're offering, offering those syndication interests to. Because for instance, if you're in California, they have very restrictive securities offerings. And you have to comply with those security offering, securities offering documents to be able to do that kind of a syndication. So I just put that as a caveat out there. It always sounds good. People want to get into these big deals but you know you gotta you gotta learn to walk before you can run. You know if you're not in the position of having say a million dollars underfoot of real estate properties, you're probably not going to be well advised to get into a syndication because it's a whole different set of rules. Yeah, but not enough. from the standpoint of the LLC structure, just the standpoint of the security structure. Okay. And I'd be careful as well if you're a first-time investor getting involved in a large syndication because one person you know is going to make the money, and that's the one putting together the syndication. Whether or not the limited partners ever see anything or you know, maybe perhaps the property management fees are too high and, oh, that's owned by his cousin who's stripping it out. You know, Be careful who you get into bed with at the end of the day. Yeah, and the contractor ran off with all the money as somebody, it's his sister-in-law's husband, et cetera, et cetera. All those things go on. You have to be so careful with that. So if you're going to get into the syndication business, you have to develop a level of expertise that's completely different than just getting into the investment of real estate to begin with. And I would advise people, you know, spend about five or 10 years getting these investments under your belt and then take a look if, if you really want to get into that level of investment expertise. And if you are, then why stop at 10 million to a hundred million dollar syndication? The, you know, the difficulties are about the same for 10 as they are for a hundred. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So from an L specifically from an LLC standpoint, then, um, if I have a limited partner come in and, you know, they decide to invest $50,000 into, um, into the syndication and that gives them a certain amount of equity, does it matter or does it make sense for them to put their name down as their personal name um, as the limited partner or should they put their LLC name as a limited partner or does it, does it really make a difference um, in terms of their legal protection from that since they're already a, a limited partner, if you will? I think it's very difficult under, under most state laws to break in and get anything from a limited partner. Um, 
But if you wanted an extra degree of security, you put the LLC down as being the limited partner. But then you'd ask yourself, what's in the LLC? You know, so well, you have to have adequate some multiple syndications if you're holding your LPs in it to consolidate your tax filings. And that would help you as well. So it could just be for a simplicity on your tax forms. You're not filing 10 LP statements. You're filing a single one through the LLC. Your accountant will thank you and charge you less. Maybe he won't thank you because he's charging you less, but you'll save money. <laughs> okay, fair yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's more of a tax and accounting standpoint than it would be legal liability. I just don't see a lot of liability to the LP. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Then from the other side, then from the management side, so you know, we have a management company that then owns the LLC that owns the property outright, and then the limited partners are buying into that, that property-owning LLC but from a management LLC standpoint, does it make sense um, from an LLC point of view to personally own or have your name or have the name of an LLC as your owner within that management company itself? Does that make sense what I'm asking from a general partner side now? Yeah. Drew, you want to take that one? Uh, well, f- from the general partner side, if you're talking about the property management, generally you would want to strip that out of the syndication or investment vehicle because the property management is what has the risk and the other one's meant to be more of a passive income play. You don't usually want to combine passive income with the active income, Uh, not so much for tax reasons, but because active income is almost inherently risky. So you want to push that out as best you can, whether it's a third party property management company or something that you've put together just to protect everybody else. So you wouldn't have, you know, they still can't go after the LPs for what was done incorrectly, but it's a lot easier to get at the assets. Now, if I build a hundred unit apartment, I manage it, I manage it inappropriately, they can go after those hundred units. If I build a hundred unit apartment, I put a Gables sticker on it and Gables manages it and something goes wrong. They sue Gables, not me. Right. So the family, you know, essentially your property management company, your family office, whatever you want to call it, uh, the property management company would be owned by another group of LLCs that makes it very difficult to get down to you individually. I, that's what I generally advise and just keep it out. There's also something called a non-charitable specific purpose trust that you could put together so that no one owns that family office. We had one guy own properties and had his college age could manage all of them. Cause if something went wrong, you could sue the college kid and bankrupt him. And it didn't matter because you know, what does he care? All he has is a Pinto and some beer money. And then the agreement was later on, he'd get the homes for having done the work, but you know, paid him a salary and he's an independent manager. So over the age of 21, what could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, so let's kind of talk taxes then, you know, so we're talking asset protection standpoint, what, what do LSCs and the holding companies and all that mean for taxes for me as an individual who owns property? Want to go through the tax aspects, Drew, just start at the top. Sure. Uh, Most of the time, very little because the LLC is the pass-through entity. Your taxes will be determined by where you're living, not where it is that you've set up the LLCs. Uh, If you're the only owner um, at the top, also generally the subsidiaries are single member LLCs. So they pass through directly to the holding company. It'll pass through to you. It does simplify the taxes if you have multiple properties to do it through a holding company. Uh, There are tax benefits that you can realize but generally you're going to need to have at least 20 to 25 properties to see them. Uh, Not because you won't get away with it the first year, but there's the joke that it's good until audit. So the second you get audited, they go, wait, you can't do this. So to do that properly takes a little bit of money, 
So I'd say, you know, to save a hundred grand, you're going to have to spend about 25, but not until you're at about that level, does it make sense to do it? Otherwise you're just spinning your wheels on a more complex structure with accountants to save maybe $3,000 at the end of the day. So if you're going to try to save taxes, do that correctly. Uh, the IRS likes its money. So, yeah, that's why get your feet wet. wet first, you know, a lot of people, when they first get into the real estate industry, they've got a lot to learn. And, you know, from a tax standpoint, you can establish these things as pass-through entities so that it reflects directly onto your 1040. It's pretty simple just for the accountant to put it all through. You give them the paperwork and it's good to go. What you may want to do at some point in time is put them into a partnership structure. Um, you, a friend, your wife, whatever you want, and then you will get a K-1 out of those those uh, that structure. So the 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 operating subsidiaries pass through to the holding company, which is taxed as a partnership that sends a K-1 out to you. You'll get a lot more deductibility on the items that you can itemize on that partnership than you would just from a, a single member a sole proprietorship. But, you know, you leave that to, to negotiate out with your accountant at the end of every year. The more interesting thing becomes as you build up a lot of equity and you start generating significant amounts of income out of these properties, if you want to avoid having to pay, say, a state income tax, you'd want to domicile that holding company as a C corporation in Wyoming. And the C corporation max tax is what, about 21, 20, 21% right now? Yep. Yeah. Right now, the, anyway. Right now. You don't we'll know where it's going to be. It could be different next year. The one thing that I advise people not to do is don't make an S-Corp election with an with a LLC. In fact, don't make a corporate election with an S-Corp. It's just, it's a nightmare. It's, an, it's a historical anachronism that's getting more and more difficult to deal with. Um, and we just had some issues today where on an estate planning matter, we had to bill a client an extra $12,500 um, just for the purpose of holding his S-Corp assets and passing it on to the next generation and a stratagem that we have is it can be a little overwhelming, but there is a website that was put together, I think, by the Wharton School of Business that gives you a, uh, a an indication of where you should have a pass-through entity, where you should have an S corp, and where you should have a C corp, and it's a it, it it answers all your questions because people come in and say, look, if I can isolate this tax up in Wyoming at twenty percent. And I can avoid having to pay the full max tax at 37% at an individual level, at least until I receive a distribution. And I avoid saying California 13.3% on the state tax. I am 17, I'm, I'm 40%, what is it, 17, I'm 20% to the good. Now I know that when I distribute the money out of that, that LLC, that I'm going to have to pay a double tax at that point in time. But what benefit do I get on that 20% differential over several years on a, an accumulated basis? So the Wharton School puts together a really nice presentation on that. And I think an easy way to think of it as well is, you know, there's this concept of a personal bank. So I can put together a corporation in Wyoming that loans me money in the other states, and then I pay it back at a reasonable rate of interest. Um, so that way, the interest that I paid back was a deduction on my end. It goes up to Wyoming where I'm not paying as much. Well, if all I generated was $10,000 in interest, I probably saved about 1% or $1,000. That's not really worth doing it. But if I generated fifty dollars or $100,000 in interest, or if I did a million-dollar loan or $500,000 loan and paid about fifty dollars in interest, well, that makes a pretty big difference, assuming I'll retain the earnings and compound them in future years. Otherwise, if you're not at those levels, you 
you kind of get yourself twisted up trying to save money on taxes in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be the focus, at least in the first few years. Not that and I think that's paying a- more in taxes than they have to. But when yeah. you get it wrong, you also get it wrong and end up having to pay it back as well. And <laughs> an audit's not cheap either. So, you know, right. choose how you want to roll the dice. Yeah, as complex as real estate investment is from the practical side, you know, ad- ad- adopt a KISS principle, right? which I do. You know, first time in, keep it simple, stupid, right? KISS principle on the tax end of things. Get your real estate investment down. Get your protocols down. Get your schematics down. Learn how to run these things. And then when you start making some money, now you can focus on the taxes because there's switches you can throw on these things. You don't have to be a pastor entity. It's not a one-time election. You can change to a partnership and then you can change to a C-Corp if that's what you want to do. You can implement a family office. There are a lot of different things you can do that you stack on as you get more and more knowledgeable within the field. So that's what we advocate with people is don't dive in with the aspect of, of with the intention that you, or the understanding that you have to know everything. You can't. But after you've been at this 10, 15, 20 years, it becomes a lot. It becomes second nature to you. Absolutely. Yep. That's why I say same on the asset protection, that first home, you could have a holding company with a subsidiary. We usually start with one LLC. Now that you've got two or three, get the holding company in there. Add that complexity as you go along. You know, someone walks in through the door and they're about to buy a home. We don't go, oh, great. We're going to get you three LLCs, do some equity <laughs> stripping, get you a trust while we're at it, put you in with this tax. You don't need to do that in the beginning. Figure out, you know, determine your competency in real estate investment. There's plenty of other things to worry about with real estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once you're worth, you know, three or four or five million dollars, you start looking at, you know, the estate planning aspects of this. How do I keep out of probate? How do I provide for my kids or my grandkids? So you put together asset protection trusts, and that is a plug in. You know, your holding company with your subsidiaries is a plug into the asset protection aspect of this. So that's the ultimate asset protection at that point. But then you've got a diversity of interest beyond real estate. And then you have kids that you throw into the mixture. And, you know, like, I don't know. Do you have kids right now, Anthony? No, not yet. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in 30 years, when you end up with somebody like Drew looking at you, you know, you're going to say, gee, how am I going to take care of these guys? <laughs> but you'll know a lot more of about them then than you do now. So you can't plan for that sort of thing. You just put a general structure together. Mm-hmm. So start out with the operating subsidiaries in a holding company. Get your feet wet. Start to developing the tax aspects of this. And then when you start making a great deal of money, think about these other things to add on after that, mm-hmm. like building blocks. Interesting. So, yeah. So go ahead. Oh, no, just the building blocks is nice. You know, when you start with the holding company and other things, it doesn't prohibit you from the, uh, uh, the larger structure. It's a step along the way. What does prohibit you is when we have someone come in with 30 homes that's not in an LLC. They own one of the homes with their buddy, but they never signed an agreement, but they've known each other, except now the buddy's an asshole and his wife is suing him. And then, you know, that's- You got a divorce. You still like your buddy, but his wife's divorcing him. What could go wrong? (laughs) Yeah. So at least, you know, just do the basics and then they'll feel a point where, you know, they feel vulnerable or they know they're paying too much in taxes. And that's when you can go pay a bunch of money and do the structuring. So- yeah, but then you have the money to do it and the inclination as well. Plus, you've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. And all your friends, you, you know, you talk about these things and, you know, you know the terms. You're not surprised by things. Right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I, I quick question that I want to kind of follow up on um, for what you guys are saying before we dig into kind of get away from asset management or asset protection some. Um, 
one of the things you were talking about was when essentially taking the cash flow from a property or the distributions from a property, if you will. Um, and, you know, the ultimate goal for a lot of, of military guys getting the real estate is to live off of that real estate income. Now, let's say that they are having a W-2 income right now, they're active duty, and they still want to provide, have some of that cash flow coming in to be distributed to them. Um, are you suggesting that instead of having that distribution to them um, and avoiding the double taxation that could come from that, that they just kind of set it all off to the side and let it be and just use the cash flow at a later date? I'm, just, I'm trying to understand from a taxation and a legal standpoint, if I get, you know, $300 in cash flow from a property and I take that $300 and I put it into my personal bank account every month. Am I hurting myself taxation wise by doing that? Well, if you elect a pass through entity to begin with, then, you know, there's not going to be any tax implication that's different from taking the money out of the LLC or leaving it in. You're going to pay tax on it no matter what you do. So the $300 that you use, let's say that you're generating $600 worth of income a month on that LLC, all 600 is taxable. If you reinvest 300 and take 300 to live on, it's still $600 worth of income. So, but if you have a C corporation, that 600 worth of income is taxed at a lesser amount generally than what you have individually. But if you take the money out to live on, then you get a double taxation. You get the 20% plus your marginal tax rate plus your state income tax rate. So it depends on your investment horizon. You know, if you know it's going to be there and for five years, it's not a piggy bank. Your W-2 is good, which I guess in the military, they're not firing you guys. Right. Sort of a dishonorable discharge. You know, (laughs) keep your hands clean. If you know the money will be in there five years, you can start to look at that stuff. If you're making a bit of a stretch on your first property, there's a chance you're going to have to pull it out. You've just added complexity and paid more in taxes. So. Gotcha. But that's only if we have it in a corporation in the first place. LLC, it doesn't doesn't make any difference. It's just all passed through anyway. Yep. Whether yeah. it's in the LLC or in your name, you're paying the same amount. Okay. Well, that's right. The LLC can be taxed one of four ways as a pass-through entity uh, it, uh, or as a partnership or as an S-corp or as a C-corp. It's not, there's no separate taxation for an LLC. You have to elect one of those things. Okay. So, you know, our point at the beginning was elect to be a pass-through entity until you begin to understand what it is that you need. Because if you're relying on this income coming out of that rental property to live on, you don't want to be subject to double taxation. You want to pass through entity. Makes sense. Makes sense. Perfect. Awesome, guys. Well, we're going to also look up in one or two years and go, property investing just wasn't for me as much as I thought I wanted to do it. And they were able to avoid some of those headaches too. So absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, discussing a lot about this. This has been amazing. Uh, We're going to get into the snapshot round that works for you guys. All ahead, plank, cavitate, snapshot, tube, tube. Awesome. All right. First question. And you you can both can answer this one or the other. However, you guys kind of want to shake this out. Uh, Does it doesn't matter particularly to me. So first question, uh, what is the number one failure that you've seen in asset management or uh, sorry, not asset in asset protection from your clients or, or personally even? Well, I can answer that, you know, a failure to put it into an entity that keeps the asset that keeps the liability away from you. And also the failure to put it into an LLC that keeps your liability away from that LLC. That's the number one difficulty that you run in. Secondary aspect of that is inadequate insurance. We had one individual who we leased space from and had an option to buy it. He went in and got insurance 
and he lied to the insurance company about the central monitoring system on a commercial building. So when they had a fire, go figure that. Insurance company came in and said, you, you said you had central monitoring. You didn't have it. The policy's no good. So he came after us saying, well, you're an obligation to insure the fire. Fortunately, our company paid out because we had very good insurance. But that would have been litigation that was involved. So I said, you know, the number one problem that I have with people outside of family issues is going to be, do you respect those LLC structures? Because if you respect those LLC structures and don't make it simply an alter ego or your, or your pocketbook, then you're going to have limited liability with respect to that. Secondary issues, you know, the insurance. The third issue is, you know, if, if, you, if you get married, stay that way. Otherwise, everything that you put into place gets thrown out by a family court judge. There's nothing that overcomes that. The IRS is bound by what you do. Family court judges, I don't know what they're bound by. Fair enough. Fair enough. Andrew, you got anything else you want to add to that? Uh, I'd say just simple things that the belief it won't happen to you. And then the idea you can form your LLC, but then don't respect it. Like Mark was saying, don't commingle your funds, hold an annual meeting. It's pretty simple stuff. It's a little bit of effort, uh, you know, every month or every year to do it, but just do those things and you'll be happy. Well, in theory with your real estate investments, I don't know about the rest of your life. So fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Next question here. Uh, what is the, uh, the best accessory you've had from one of your clients or personally from the protections that they've enacted? The best, what the best success story that you've had. Oh, and you want to run with that? I, I would say the best success story we have is having, you know, over 10,000 clients and actually so few of them get sued because what the opposing counsel ends up realizing most of the time when they see there's an anonymous LLC owned by an anonymous LLC that's held out of state and there's a trust, and then there's all of this structuring, they look up and they go, there's lower hanging fruit. Let me go find someone who owns six properties in their name and slip and fall in front of their property. <laughs> like we said before, if you take out an apartment block or kill someone, you're probably going to be liable, but majority of the time they are just frivolous lawsuits. So if it's going to be 20 or 25 grand to litigate it, there's only 10 grand at play and there's a 5% chance of winning. They want to go after somebody else. So I'd say the biggest success story is just how few of our clients do get sued. So, yeah. And you can add to that, the anonymity that a Wyoming LLC provides you. You can't, you can't sue somebody. You know, they may know where you live. Do they know that you own a particular apartment building? And if so, how is that owned and who are your partners with it? That sort of thing. They, mm -hmm. It's just very, very difficult to break through those because they're anonymous. So they can't, they can't sue what they can't find. Love it. I love it. The I guess the best story is not having a story <laughs> to start with. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. My, my next question is for, is Andrew specifically. Uh, you're, you're, uh, seems like you're a real globetrotter and you've been all over the world and traveled all to, you know, more than 50 countries. So tell me what's your favorite country you visited and why? Uh, I would say it would be Japan. So lucky you living there. Um, at least early in my life, I had a general lack of discipline. And that's something that I admire about the Japanese. I could see how it'd be a little difficult being there, but it's amazing how orderly it is. The trains run on time. There's no crime. The sushi's good. Um, outside of that, I'd say probably the Caribbean because the beaches are just beautiful. And if you want to do nothing the rest of your life, you should go do it on a beautiful beach. So fair enough. Fair enough. Love it. All right. And then last question for you guys. Um, and, and for both of you, I'll start with Mark. Mark, what is your dream? 
I'm living it. <laughs> I mean, Perfect. you know, I've, I've, I've worked as an attorney and a CPA and in a wide variety of metropolitan areas, Philadelphia, Denver, Phoenix, San Francisco, Miami. Um, I came back to Wyoming eight years ago, having grown up here to start this company and to do something that was, you know, it's basically a technology company that happens to be marketing legal services. It's exciting. It's fun. I talked to, I had a great conversation earlier today with a, with a young lady uh, who is a, an excellent trust and estate attorney based out of New York and sat and had, you know, probably 15 minutes on the, on the gravamen of a fairly complex trust for a client who's out of New York as well. Mm-hmm. Just interesting, just very interesting speaking to people. So yeah, I'd like it. This, this is my dream. Perfect. What about you, Andrew? Uh, I apologize, but I suppose I'm living it as well. Um, <laughs> you know, I've had jobs previously, but everyone I speak to is a business owner or a potential business owner. Uh, we also charge very little and we do it quickly. So we're beating the socks off the competition. You know, five years ago, we hadn't formed an LLC in Wyoming. Now we're forming roughly over a third of all LLCs in Wyoming. And we've expanded wow. into other states as well. So as long as we're growing, uh, I'm pretty happy with that. That's awesome. Congrats. Congrats. Thank you. So I appreciate you guys coming on here and sharing your wealth of knowledge. I mean, I've definitely learned a lot uh, just hearing you guys talk here over the past 30 minutes or so. If people want to learn more about you, where can they go? Just visit our website, wyomingllcattorney.com. We have about 130 main pages of content. and We've got a blog with about 50 pages. Uh, I provided you a link as well, Anthony. Uh, We have a real estate specific page and holding company page that I think might be more applicable. Uh, So maybe you can include those with the podcast. We have a phone number at the top, a contact form at the bottom, uh, and we respond to all of it. So if you do have follow-up questions, we've got PDFs and other things that we can send you. Perfect. Or the listeners, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Mark, Andrew, thank you again for coming on the show here. And uh, I hope you guys stay safe back in the States and have a happy holidays as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you you as well. Enjoy your new year. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you are a military investor and found this episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show packed with great information, tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform. Every comment is read and appreciated. Don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of PCI Teaches, brought to you by Pinto Capital Investments. Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through learn and teach segments. And listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate show.